up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Ali Deichman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. That's right, and this week we'll be answering some listener questions, as well as, well, if there's more... Answering listener questions. questions. (laughs) Trevor, how are your games this week? Um, They were good. Um, Again, still all online. That's going well. Yeah. Um, I know we wanted to talk about uh, that aspect of it you know one of my groups has been doing online forever that has been the entirety of (laughs) their group Mm -hmm. um and then we have two groups who are adjusting to it (laughs) um and uh who who was you retweeted someone it was was it sly flourish that put out the article (laughs) amazing blog about uh running games online and like discord etiquette and stuff like that it was it's fantastic Mm -hmm. um so if you're having trouble or still in the process of moving your game over to online i highly recommend checking out i'm pretty sure i had the difficulty class account retweet it i believe so yeah and if not Um, we'll retweet it again (laughs) yeah um but uh but as far as the games go uh storm king's thunder um i you know the further I get into that book now, the more I'm kind of meh on it. Oh yeah. Like I'm not saying that I don't. Uh, I'm not enjoying the game. Like I, I am. Like my my fucking players got on a casino riverboat last week, oh, and and it, it was a lot of fun and everything. But like I, I got to a part where I realized if I don't reveal the villain right now, they'll never know who it is. Mm-hmm. And so it would, it would, they would go into this climactic fight and then just go like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I, I, I made, I made a quick decision to reveal the villain and have them, you know, escape. They got to do a quick combat against them before they teleported out of there. Cool. And, and it was good because they, they, they had a drive now. They're like, okay, all of these things are lining up. We know what we need to do. Let's freaking go. Yeah. But it was kind of disappointing that the book itself, like, never <laughs> really gives you that moment. It was. It's always just like, you know, you can find out. They'll, you just, they'll do it. Yeah. And, like, the, what's funny about that concept is that that's a complete, like, it's such a weird thing because it's like, oh, yeah, it, he's just there. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like when you save a certain npc that's very important to the plot they have no idea yeah <laughs> and so like like one of the big climactic parts of the story is saving this person and you could wake them up and they're like i, I was in the woods um now i'm here um how are you and so <laughs> you and so like i i was like yeah that 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 kind of that kind of sucks like it it there's a lot of really good dungeons and stuff like that. And there's a few dragons. Who'd have thunk? Wow. Um, but the more I've gotten into the book itself, for me, kind of the weaker it's gotten. Mm-hmm. And I, I still think it's good where it is on our uh, on our list of reviews. Um, but when we go back and do Tomb of Annihilation at some point, that might... That might that one might move up. <laughs> I think one of the classic problems that uh, Storm King's Thunder has is that each part wants to get bigger and bigger than the last, and so it kind of ends up being like when you're not actually at a big part, 
but it wants to be big. It doesn't make much sense. It lands wrong. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it does because like there's these chapters are so huge until the end. Like the last three chapters of the book are maybe 10 pages each. Yeah. Whereas there's a literal 100-page chapter <laughs> up front. <laughs> well, like the, the end chapters are more so just encounter guides. Yeah. Versus actual uh like in-depth like and and they don't they and they don't give you a good way that the party gets there like the the chapter that we did last week it literally was just like oh and then they'll find this or they don't you could have them roll for it or if you don't want to don't (laughs) but if they do have them do this and if they fail just have them do it again i'm like what is what is going on here this suddenly feels so completely loose and off the rails and it it was it's it was kind of jarring um but uh but besides that we're doing descent to avernus they finished a dungeon crawl everyone seemed really happy that the dungeon crawl was over (laughs) when i'm like all you guys have wanted is combat and i gave you a dungeon crawl and you all decided to steamroll through it (laughs) and then every time there was combat you get irritated (laughs) i'm like what's happening (laughs) um but uh but other than that we got uh pathfinder second edition is going great we had a completely uh rp session of mystery searching and stuff and it was great nice um but uh how how are your game how's your game doing transitioning to the the online thing i know most of your players live with you but you know (laughs) (laughs) um so like uh, three games and all three of us are doing completely different things (laughs) Well, you have oh well. So you have your Wednesday game mm-hmm. and Pathfinder. What's the mm-hmm. other one? Uh, Marcos is actually DMing a fun game. That's right. He's streaming it. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually taking place in Wildmount. We actually, oh. yeah, we, we had no idea that it was going to. Uh, he set it up perfectly, and I'm like super excited to play it because I wasn't expecting to at all. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'll go over first how Marcos does it because so far I feel like right now oddly that's the smoothest for everyone even though he's streaming on top of that so (laughs) he's actually doing it through tabletop simulator and instead of us also playing with him he's just screen sharing through discord the tabletop sim of it yeah and we see the board we see our figs we see the enemies we see the landscape we see everything there and so it's like we have a very clear visual on what's around us and what our characters can and can't do um and Marcos just has full control over all the bad guys and our figs. And so it's super easy. But it's like, oh, yeah, I want to attack the guy to our left. And he just, like, pings the person on our left like that one. And we're mm-hmm. like, yes. And then he continues through. Um, he's preloaded tabletop sim with, like, all these figs of both enemies and PC, like, figures. And so it's super easy for him to just, like, say, oh, yeah, there's a pirate over here. And he pulls out a pirate little fig. Mm-hmm. Um, he Basically, also... the high tech version of me holding my phone over the table and pointing with a pen. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and he's also like Marcos and I. We talked a lot about like the stats of the boats because it's a boat focused campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went through Ghost of Salt Marsh, and we pretty much picked and choose like, oh, well, this boat, but like this, and so he's got all those stats just on the board when we need them, and it's it's pretty cool so far, and. It's pretty easy for him to just immediately draw on the board as is. Mm-hmm. Every now and then he picks the wrong tool to draw, but and I by every now and then I mean every single time. He's still getting <laughs> used to it. 
Um, but so far, that one has worked the smoothest and like least amount of like guessing of yeah. where people are and what we need can do on each turn. I kind of imagine all of you sitting on like because I I because it's you Spencer and um Taylor uh, yeah Taylor is it just the three of you yeah. I imagine you guys like sitting on the couch in your gaming room and looking up at the TV, kind of like people like at like a, like doing fantasy football where they're like, "All right, uh, okay, he's gonna move over there. All right, we're gonna do Quite that." Literally, that's what it is. <laughs> um, You're all just like engrossed in the screen. <laughs> we have our little dice trays in our lap. We have our character sheets out front, and I have the HDMI plugged to my computer so we can watch it on the TV. <laughs> that that is that is leisure gaming at its best right there that's beautiful <laughs> and so yeah we're, we're having a blast uh in the game itself it was a lot of fun like i said we're in wild mount we didn't know that because mm-hmm. we hailed from an island that is like so secluded um it's kind of like moana except not by choice mm-hmm. um like ancient stories go that uh like our people first came to this island because they heard that this uh, dragon god was dying and they wanted to be there for his last moments, even though they knew once he died, they'd be stuck on the island because he was a dragon god of wind. Mm-hmm. And so ever since that happened, our people on the island essentially has been not able to go past like three mile <laughs> radius around the island because the winds <laughs> die down and the current pushes you back into the island. Oh, Jesus. And so like... Recently, um, an artificer actually built like an engine to actually get past that current. And so that's we're the first pioneers out of the island, not nice. knowing literally anything outside of it. And we leave and we're like, oh, we, we, we found some pirates and we immediately just bullied them the hell out of there. And <laughs> it was a lot of fun because we found a, we got a map thanks to the people that we saved. And they're like, yeah. And we're like, Wow what's this place? We're on the Menagerie Coast. And it's like, yeah, uh, we're heading to this port if you guys want to join us. So we do. And it's it's great kind of getting to explore that fish out of water situation. Yeah. But Literally, because you all... have no idea what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, except for Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Spencer and Taylor both kind of have a good idea and solid understanding oh, yeah, of Wild right. Mount. Taylor watches it too. Yeah. yeah. But like, I'm over here like, I have no idea. And plus I'm playing an inquisitive wizard who like, has a checklist of things for every port she goes to. Like, what's their culture like? Who's the organization? Who runs the place? What's the police like? What's She That's has like beautiful. this checklist that she wants to ask and poor Marcos has to answer everything. <laughs> um, but that's been going really well. Um, mm-hmm. Moving on into probably the one that's going the least smoothly. I won't say worst because none of them are the worst. Um, is my game. And okay. I'm going to be working with the kinks when we play next um, because it's... I have ideas that I could do, which probably will work better than what I've been doing. Um, my Neverwinter game that we usually play, uh, we've been doing it just through Discord, like just face-to-face, trying mm-hmm. out Theater of the Mind. But turns out all of us really would like to have that visual. And so we're, we're trying things out. And I'm kind of doing the thing where I was saying, like, have at least the board out for yourself at the DM. And yeah. then so you can see where people are. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did that last session and it really was difficult for all my players to still imagine things, even though I was trying my damnedest. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think next time I'm going to just kind of pull a page from Marcos's, (gasps) but instead of using tabletop sim, I'm just going to use Photoshop because I know Mm -hmm. Photoshop really well and I have it on my computer. So it's like, I could screen share share and just, yeah. And just move the player like little tokens as I wish along this map that I can put in there. Like the reason why I'm, 
I'm using my phone and the above head camera, especially for the Descent into Avernus game, is I bought a lot of shit for that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking use it. I'm gonna put it on the table. They're gonna go, ooh, from a distance, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, actually, uh funny enough, uh St. James and the Golden Pals, he finally found Hero Forge and he made Uthal. And I told him, like, hey, if you want you could have that sent to me. I'll paint it and use it on the table. He's like, oh, that would be so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's another thing. Um, the cool thing about Tabletop Sim that Marcos is doing, that we could actually make our minis on Hero Forge just buy the digital file and send it to him. And we oh, could really? have those minis in Tabletop Sim. That's pretty cool. I, oh, yeah. And also, um, uh, Hero Forge is doing their online thing at some point this year. Who knows if oh, this, yeah. the virus will push that back? But <laughs> I, I, I love how I was like, oh yeah, I put money into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still just over here like, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, I, I think the Photoshop thing will work because like I've, I've watched you use Photoshop. You're a wizard on there, so. <laughs> I try, I so fine. I feel like it'll definitely be a lot smoother than just attempting to say things out. I'll just screen share it, pop things over, probably sit yeah. in between my friends who are playing with me and just play on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> like, the way I run D&D, I don't really need a DM screen. Probably just have, like, a little mini one set up for my dice, because that's how I like to play. But mm-hmm. um, And then... The one that we both played together, Pathfinder, has been online. Yeah. And I feel like we're we're working through the growing pains as we play it. Cause like well, and, the- and, and Wiz said something uh, last session that was, um, that she said role-playing is, is more difficult mm-hmm. online. And that's something I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. Um, that, like... Yeah, in my in my uh, Golden Pals group, we don't do voice character voices and stuff very often. I think I'm the one that does it more than the players. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm curious to see if that's like a a thing. Um, it, oh, 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 you know, doing this online because even thinking back to like when I watched, um, uh, God, what was it? The the dice camera action, like not they didn't role play that often i think chris did it the most and then anna and uh holly did character voices but they didn't like do a voice like like jared didn't do a voice i don't think nate did a voice and so i'm curious to know especially you know people listening if you play online and if it has changed your role play style like if you're not doing it as much Oh, yeah. Um, like, as soon as Wiz said that, I, it kind of clicked for me because I remember last year when our friend moved to um, Tennessee, it was like, oh, yeah, it's 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 kind of a, an issue because he, he came back and visited and he's like, yeah, it's been really hard playing online with you guys because like just getting that connection of being able to role play. And plus, there's always that little bit of delay. And so it's especially yeah. harder if like there's one person out. <clears throat> And there's people still there um, because it's like you feel a disconnect. Yeah. And it's hard to role play with that. And uh, like, I still I still think you can do role play. Yeah. Like, I think you can do it in ter- but in in terms more of describing what's going on instead of acting it out. 
Yeah. And I think that's fine because that's still role play. That's still building a story. Yeah. Like we mentioned that on the episode that we talked about role playing with your character. Like if you go into full third person mode, like saying Roland would talk about this with you. Um, You could that's totally viable and you could still get that role play out of the way that you wish you had. Um, And plus, it doesn't uh, take up as much, quote, airtime as yeah. <laughs> actually role playing and and i think that might be why golden pals goes at the speed it does because mm-hmm. we we go fat like we only play two hours when we play yeah and like uh last session we had uh royalty talks an encounter travel getting on the boat uh talking to people on the boat and then setting down and actually playing a casino game in two hours. That's pretty good. So so that might have something to do with it where, because we're more describing what the story is doing instead of acting it out, that might lend to its speed. I don't know. Words. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to be talking to my players uh, before we start next session. One about the update with how I'm going to be showcasing things and two about like, because all of us are kind of getting a little off because it's happening in that game where it's super heavy role play heavy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know your games. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they are heavy on the role play, but like it's also happening there, which is nuts yeah. to think about. And so it's kind of like slowing down the games to like a crazy amount. Um, Interesting. Oh, speaking of, so I didn't actually describe what actually happened in the Neverwinter mm-hmm. one. Oh yeah. So they found the city um, they dealt with the green dragon. They mm-hmm. uh, went to the actual castle where the council usually presides. And I got to do something really fun. I busted out the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica map like bundle that, that you gave me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I actually used the Orzov Grand Cathedral as the map. <laughs> nice. That's a good <laughs> so, map. Like, they, uh, they went through and they had to deal with several, um, I, I don't even know how they're pronounced correctly, like Alips. But uh, they're essentially mm. bandage floaty men who like to destroy things. <laughs> bandage floaty men. You know. Um, and so they're like, okay, well, we came here because we were trying to find the dungeons. And so they found okay. these two staircases that go up and down. And they're like, well, let's go up. We don't know how far Where down do these it stairs goes. go? They go up. <laughs> and so they went up and they actually found their friend that's been like in a cell and kidnapped this whole time. And there was this cool moment where they finally found him and uh, these two of the rogue assassins that were part of the old uh, assassin, you know, group, the Shadowed Veil. Um, one of Assassinos. them actually gave up and surrendered when they saw that Saphir was wearing his father's armor and his sword with the patch torn off. Mm. And he told her in mid fight, he used a whole action for persuasion. He's like, hey, he's dead. You have nothing to fear anymore. She dropped her daggers and went on her knees and she just started crying because essentially this dude's been like just keeping them in a hostage situation for to murder for him. Some people don't want to do that, like Saphira, for example. So it's like it was a really cool moment where Saphira's like, I'm going to try to save as many of my half siblings as I can. But for those that are too far evil, (laughs) I'm not going to worry about it. Luckily, I haven't run into any evil half-siblings. And so it was a cool moment. They got to save their friend and a half-sibling. They put him in a magnificent mansion. And uh, they're next going to go look for the lich that's kind of holding this organization together. Nice. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're building towards a nice 
fun climax there. I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they figured out the riddle to bring back Saphir's wife from the dead, and that's basically get the lich's phylactery and use it as a component in the spell. So Saphir's oh. <laughs> like intent on all this. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move over to some broadsheets. We we uh we, th- this is this is a conversational episode. We're twenty yeah. minutes in. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I really wanted gonna... to update people on how like, yeah. we've been approaching the online. Oh situation. no no no. We that that was not what took up the most amount of time. Trust me. <laughs> it was <laughs> us talking about online stuff. Um. So the uh, first piece of news is Wizards is releasing free content every day to help with quarantine life. Mm-hmm. Um. This is such a big deal that uh actually Polygon reported on it this morning. Uh, this morning being Tuesday. Um, (laughs) so this started on Monday, April 6th, uh, and they released, uh, they, they put up the, uh, what is this? Oh, D&D Adventure League Player's Guide and Dungeon Master's Guide. And then they also put up a, uh, uh, Defiance in, uh, Flan or Flane? I don't know. It's a first level adventure and it introduces uh, people to Dungeons and Dragons and it's free for a limited time. So each day this week, uh, they are going to be releasing stuff for free uh, to help out with, you know, people stuck in the house and that just, and maybe people who haven't even played D&D before. Um, so this is going to be happening every day. They haven't released the stuff for today. Um, but uh, it's going all the way through uh, Friday, April 10th, so the day that you might be listening to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of free stuff available for a limited time. And there's some really cute stuff in here, too, because they have, like, little, like, coloring sheets and stuff and a map. And Aww. it's adorable. Um So definitely check that out, even if you're deep into the you know the dndness uh you know you can still get some free stuff but if you know people who are stuck at home maybe with their families or something and they've never played D, send this over to them and you know not to like indoctrinate them into our hobby but you know just be like hey maybe maybe try this out see what you think oh yeah like you'd be so like we talked about this before but you'd be so surprised at what your parents will come up with for character concepts oh yeah like, my dad, when I asked him to build a character, he built a barbarian that was Monk. Like, a Monk as in from the TV show Monk, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, detective yeah. show. And it was so cool. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that totally sounds like your dad, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next piece of news is uh, you could win a trip to go play a D&D game with Joe Manganiello. Yeah. Uh, so this is a uh, a charity. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, it's for charity, and it, it's uh, it, it's not a contest. Why can't I think of Auction? the word? No, I don't know. Basically, here's how it works. Um, you uh, donate money to uh, Omaze, uh, who is a charity foundation that's been doing stuff like this for years now. They've uh, you know famously worked with Disney for Star Wars. Uh, where basically you donate money and that gets you a certain amount of entries into this uh, and they'll do a drawing and see who wins. Raffle. So uh, raffle. Yeah, I guess that works. Um, This one, as someone who actually did enter the first Star Wars one, it was uh, you donated money and um, it was a chance to like go to the set of Force Awakens. That's cool. And yeah. Uh, but this, I will say this one is a lot more uh, bang for your buck as far as entries go. 
Uh, I mean, there's already bang for your buck because you're donating money to Make-A-Wish Foundation, so mm -hmm. that should be enough. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically, like right now, $25 gets you 250 entries to win. $50 gets you 1,000 entries to win. Oh, my God. Um, and, uh, yeah, $100 gets you 2,000. So, like, they, they, they did a lot of stuff here because, like, I think when I did it, for Star Wars, $25 got you one entry. Oh. <laughs> oh. So um, they're really pushing to to get, you know, some good money to help out uh, kids and uh, anyone in the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is, if you don't know about them by now, I don't, I, you've been living under a rock. Um, but yeah, you get to go play a game with Joe Manganiello. I don't know if it's at his private dungeon in his house. Uh <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so that's 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 pretty awesome. That's one of the more uh up there, you know, charity uh, drives that mm -hmm. they've done. That's what I was thinking. Charity drive. That's what ah. I think I was thinking of. Who knows? Um, <laughs> and I mean, you get, I mean, you get to play D and D with Joe Manchel. You should do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't because I'm poor right now. But <laughs> um. And then our last piece of news is uh, is a quick one. It's just uh, some more errata has been released. Yeah. Um, Allie, you talked about it on a previous episode that they had updated. the what, what, what spell was it? The Healing Spirit spell. It's a lot of people understand that spell because it's it's, it, it's exponential in how it heals. Like um, Yeah, yeah. It's like usually it's like, oh, yeah, you can heal for 6d6 at second level. But if you cast it at third, you automatically heal for 12d6. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, just hang out for a minute. You get 12d6 of healing at third level spell mm -hmm. slot. That's kind of nuts. And so they changed it to saying like, yeah, you can only heal the amount of times equal to your wisdom modifier plus one, I think. Yeah. So yeah. it's like it was a much, much needed um, adjustment there because it was it was rough. <laughs> And so, th so they that was from Xanathar's guide, correct? Yeah, that was yeah. that was the updated so, spell in Xanathar's so guide. They've, so they've updated Xanathar, uh, Mordekainen, the player's handbook, and I th think the DMG? I can't quite remember. I didn't write it down, which seems absolutely mm -hmm. foolish of me now. Yeah. Uh, but they but, updated yeah. a few books, and Jeremy Crawford tweeted out um, a link to the errata. Uh, so you can go uh, check that. Oh, here's uh oh, it is Xanathar's Guide, Mordekainen, Out of the Abyss, and mm -hmm. the Player's Handbook. Interesting that Out of the Abyss is in there. Uh, it's probably some of the monster stats. <laughs> yeah, um, they they get a little updating, and it's it's worth a read whenever they do release a new errata out because it does kind of update the game. Um, it, most of the time yeah. they're minor updates. Um, every now and then it's like a huge one, but mm -hmm. this one was full of like worthy. Like you should you should check them all out. Um, so that's going to do it for our broadsheets. We're going to move into dungeon keeping, which we do have some interesting news about. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be changing up the format of the show for the next couple months. Mm -hmm. Um, th this is, you know, if you're listening to this, don't feel bad. Um, uh, <laughs> our listen, uh, listener rates have not been great, uh, recently. And I get that people listen to podcasts when they're driving to work or at work or out and about. And those three things are not happening right now. Yeah. 
Um, so that's being reflected in our listens. And I know as well as a lot of podcast listens, I've been looking at the subreddits and stuff and people are are saying that people just aren't listening to podcasts as much as they were before, which is great considering I had that other podcast that started just when this all went Mm -hmm, down. mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, so rather than, uh, just, keep you know keep going with the format that we're doing and putting out topics that um you know people might not be listening to or might not even be relevant for the climate that we're currently in we talked about doing a diy episode but if you can't go to michael's (laughs) and pick up some stuff it's kind of hard to do a whole episode about that so what we're talking about doing we're going to get more uh, plans for this flushed out uh, in the next couple of days, is we are going to be doing some actual play episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, this won't be like the the one-on-one adventure. We are actually going to get people together online, uh, and <laughs> we're going to run some games, and uh, we're not going to be doing D&D. Uh, we're, we're going to be playing some other, uh, RPGs that we have either been wanting to play or want to showcase. Yeah. Why and not? Now's the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cause like we, you know, this is the, this is a D and D show, but we've said several times that we're not always going to stick to D and D and, I, I think this is a great time to explore some other games without just dedicating a whole episode to it and talking to you about the mechanics of it where we can actually show you the mechanics and play a game and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to, uh, we're, we're still putting together what games they are and who's going to be in them. So pay attention. So keep, keep an eye out for our, our Twitter and whatnot. And we're going to make some announcements about it. Um, we're hoping that next week's episode is actually going to be session zero for one of them. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I hope, I hope that excites the people that are still listening to this. <laughs> and if you are in the far flung future, uh, you get some, you know, some episodes of adventure stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, uh, because I have so much time, well, that's not completely true because I seem to be busy every day despite being in the house. Right. Uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm also looking at working a version of the adventure series two that never came out. Hey, <laughs> um, I'm gonna. I'm looking at a way to edit it and basically have me tell you the setup for what you're about to hear and keep the story going, and then just play a, a segment of what happened, um, despite my, you know, some my terrible audio and then you know the other stuff that was going on. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, all right, next up, we're going to do uh, some Champions Loot. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't downloaded Idle Champions yet, and we just basically screamed at you for 30 minutes last week telling you to, I don't I don't know what <laughs> you're really doing. We really did. Yeah. We really did. Um, so uh, here is a code to get yourself a gold chest on us. S-K-Y-F-M-E-U-S-Z-E-L-S. Put that code into Idle Champions, get a gold chest on us, and then take a screenshot and send it to us on Twitter because we want to see what you get. Oh, yeah. More purples. <laughs> well, since we're doing um, adventures for uh, the next couple of months, we thought it would be a good idea to get uh, answers to listener questions uh, that we had in our email, especially since I put out that call for listener questions recently <laughs> and then we're doing this so we thought we would uh we'd get the ones that we got um 
out here and talking about, and we figured to be a, a fun episode. Yeah. Um. So our first, we're we're answering these in order in which we received them. No, we're not doing favoritism here or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first up, we have Aaron. Uh, you know, they've been writing in to show for a long time. We appreciate it. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Hey, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so Aaron says, what tips do you have for creating fair and as balanced as can be while still having fun homebrew content such as magic items, subclasses, backgrounds, and miscellaneous? If you're a player specifically, what's the best approach to trying to secure an, and I quote, I'll allow it from the DM? So uh, as the DM who has done this, uh, I can give a few ideas and concepts that you can throw out, um, especially Aaron, since I have a f- a huge inkling that you're a huge proponent for homebrew stuff, considering all the past emails that we've gotten from you. Did, did you see the one she sent mm-hmm. uh, recently? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as being that DM that has said, I'll allow it. One of the best ways for me to get to that point is for you to show me uh, the full thing. Like, don't show me like, oh, this is, you know, like, don't just tell me it and then expect me to just say yes. Um, have a f- complete and understanding and accepting position of, if this is not good, we're going to nix it later and then be like, okay with that. That's pretty much like have that understanding of the DM. Yeah. Be like, hey, I'll be totally cool after we play it out and it's not working out if we just switch me back to something not homebrew. Understand that that could be an option for you. Um, and if you make that clear to the DM, that'll give them like something to go back to and they don't have to feel like they're trapped. Like, well, I let them into this homebrew for three levels and now all of a sudden they can be like Superman. So I don't know what to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Understand that. It's like, yeah, this isn't working out for the game that I'm running. running. I'm going to have you go back to non homebrew content. And Mm -hmm. at that point you should be okay. Cause that's what you agreed with. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think, I think that is completely fair. Um, Cause we say you should test play stuff, but in all reality, this is when you're test playing things. Yeah. Like you don't really have the opportunity much to like, I'm going to test run something, this homebrew that I made up. It's like, okay, now I need to have a group of players that want to test play with me and are willing to deal with this. And it's like, really your actual campaign is the best time too. As long as your yeah. DM is cool with just like that understanding of, Hey, if this really doesn't work, I can go back. Then that, that's like, what I do. You, you can do the whole like, hey, let's run just an encounter real quick and see how it works. And that does well for the numbers and the glaring flaws in any mm-hmm. homebrew content, but you never get the moment of like like the player sitting there and like having that J- Jurassic Park moment is like, it's a Unix system. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I figured out a loophole to this that will break the game. Like you don't get to have those moments um, when you're just testing out a quick, quick encounter. Yeah. So you do need to play test this in game and i understand that that can be disruptive to the group so i almost i i feel like you need to have like a table conversation not just with the dm like first go to the dm but then go to the table and just like hey so this is what we want to do we want to see how this works and if it doesn't work we're going to switch them to this because you know for some groups if they're really into it that could be super immersion immersion breaking i can speak words (laughs) um and there's some people that don't enjoy that and it kind of ruins their fun um so it's it's one of those like yeah you need to have a conversation with the dm and the table 
Yeah. And be be okay with whatever comes out of it. Yeah, that's just having the acceptance to go through whatever is going to come out of that homebrew is the key here. Um, mm-hmm. And to, like, whatever the DM en- decides on the end, because they're the one that's putting this whole show together. And if it's making it way difficult for them, then you kind of just have to shrug and be like, all right, let's go back. So that way, not just the players are having fun, but the DM too. <laughs> so as far as making your own homebrew stuff... um. I have zero experience with this for classes or subclasses or any kind of like mechanical crunchy thing. But as far as magic items go, me as a DM putting homebrew magic items in, I just do it. I don't care. It, like, like I almost, I almost get player giddy when one of my items breaks the game. Yeah. Like we in our Strahd game, I gave all of you guys artifacts that leveled mm-hmm. up with you, and I remember Dusty got something with uh, with his character's sword, and I just looked at me horrified, like w- he just gets to do that. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty fucking cool, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's something that kind of depends on the DM because both Trevor and I are on the same page of like. What magic breaking items? There's no such thing. It's like exactly both of us are huge proponents of if it's cool, put it in. I don't care if it ruins, you know, quote ruins the game because it won't. Yeah, it'll just make it more fun. Um, because like as a DM, your goal, your hope is that they avoid half the stuff that you planned out and figured out a way to do a shortcut. <laughs> I I've I've watched several YouTube videos which have clickbaity titles like. 15 magic items that break the game yeah. or 10 magic items that never let into your game. And I'm, and I watch them and I'm just like, no, like do it. Yeah. Fuck, like coward. <laughs> um, <laughs> like if you're, if your DM is not of that sort, um, try to stick within like the, uh, rarity, uh, concepts of like oh this is a magic weapon it's uh and then kind of base off of the power of the plus one like sword for example be like okay it's it's uncommon so it's like or it's rare i could i could get it at this level um mm-hmm. i could say that's been passed down in my family for generations uh it only gives me a plus one and i have to be attuned to it and it's like yeah. and it also deals like a d four of fire damage so it's like you have the downside of needing to be attuned to it when you usually don't Mm-hmm. But you get something else because it's something that your family would have. So it's like, consider basing it a magic item off of one that's already there. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and, because and, then and, the, the DM will feel like, oh, that's familiar. I get it. Yeah, that'll work. And even even though I haven't had experience with making classes and subclasses, like that's another thing. Like, Look at what is made already. Look at... Look at the numbers. Look at the crunch. Like, look at what they're going for in building a class and just kind of riff off of that. And then even at first, what you could do is take parts of other subclasses that are already made verbatim and slot them into a new yeah. uh, class. I mean, you'll notice if you're if you're into building classes and subclasses and stuff, you'll notice there's a pa- there's like a pattern to each of these kind of classes mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, at this level, they'll gain a uh, attack ability. At this level, they'll gain a utility uh, ability. Yeah. At this level, they'll gain a cool spell concept. And so it's like, if you follow that pattern, it won't feel as alien to the DM. Mm-hmm. And so they'll more than likely be able to like accept it in a little bit. And as far as like making a class and taking it to a DM, I kind of would advise to stray away from that because... 
it's hard to get the feeling out of like, oh, you're trying to get an advantage on it. So what it, I would recommend, building it with your DM. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, I wouldn't say take a like, I finished this subclass, let me play it. I wouldn't advise on doing that. Like working with them to, to build one together would be good because mm-hmm. if if you do it the other way, like it just it feels like you are trying to like game the system sort of, even yeah. if you're not, even if that's not the intention, that can be how it can, it can be misconstrued. And yeah. I just, I don't recommend it. I mean, like consider like some of the UA that's come out. Um, there's a lot of like alternate features. That one especially has come up in my uh, group where they're talking like, Hey, instead of getting like this at this level, could I choose this instead from the UA? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I also agree that that feature that you'd normally be getting isn't fun. So yeah, go Mm -hmm. for it. Um, just like number one, the, the best way to get something that you're working on into the game is to work with your DM about it. Yeah. Um, like when Spencer was doing the artificer, like, it, that thing went through like three different UAs <laughs> before it came to the book. And uh, yep. he and I essentially rebuilt that entire class together. And it was a little broken, but honestly, since I made it, I knew its limitations and I knew he wasn't like the Iron Man <laughs> that mm-hmm. <laughs> we couldn't have built at that time anyways. So it was like, oh no, this this works out. Like, because I understand its limits and its its highest peaks too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't really have anything else for homebrew stuff, like, as, without getting, like, too far down the rabbit hole into, like, mechanics and stuff, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would say, Aaron, like, if you're the DM, just freaking go for it, just do it, whatever, Yeah, it's fun. just, if you're the DM, go for it, and you can always, because it is a game, you can always just mm-hmm. go back to non-homebrew content later. Yeah, and, and, like, the main focus is make sure your players are having fun, that's, yeah. you know. At the end of the day, that that's what matters. And not just you who are using the, the homebrew. Yes. Make sure that your other <laughs> players, uh, your friends who you're playing with uh, via the computer over the internet at the same table, um, make sure they're also having fun with this homebrew. Because yeah. if you're suddenly just like the OP ninja who can do everything in the world um, because you made this homebrew content and everyone who's like looking at you like, well, when do I get a turn? <laughs> Oh no, it's the OP ninja. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Risen from the grave again. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, so our next question uh, comes from, let's see, let me make sure. Uh, it comes from Steven. Uh, mm-hmm. Steven, uh, this is the first time they were writing in. Thank you very much for writing in. We appreciate hey, it. Hey, Steven, yes. Um, I included a lot of what Steven wrote. Uh, I, I relate to a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, and and I think and I do have a uh, like. There's a question at the end, but I do have a suggestion for the main body. Ali, would you mind reading it since my reading skills hey, are still at the fourth I grade level? Can yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Steve Stephen says. So first, a little background. For the past few years, I've been DMing a game for some of my close friends, and the group has gotten progressively larger until the point two sessions ago where I had twelve people at our gaming table, not including myself. This has caused me a lot of stress, and reading the table, I can tell that the quality of my games has begun to slip due to me not being able to truly invest myself in each character, and not to mention that everyone was at level 13 at the time, and planning encounters is a real son of a bitch. So doing the logical thing, I expressed to my players that my fun for the game has started to dwindle, and we needed to figure out a way where we can get things back on track and make our game enjoyable for everyone. First of all, I'm just going to interrupt myself. Kudos to you, Steven. That's That's a big power play. 
for your own emotions and well-being to just like confront everyone and be like, hey, listen, I'm not having fun right now. So good job. Uh, he continues, my solution was to first create a new group of four players picked from our current pool who were picked because they are available and they have been heavily involved in our current campaign. This has so far surprisingly been drama free. Second, at Yay! the conclusion of the current campaign, which with a few tweaks is going to be the next session. Ooh, fun. I'm going to stop being the dedicated GM for the group and give some other people a chance to run games. The style of sessions that will be run in the larger group will be a more beer and pretzel sort of thing, allowing people to drop in and out and create an environment that our campaign has devolved to and that everyone seems to enjoy. More group hangout than D&D. Uh, 100% I endorse that as <laughs> that's really fun. I do that a lot, too. Um, let's see. He says, now that I'm going to be starting fresh with a new campaign for a smaller group, I have gotten excited to begin planning and was hoping to start the campaign in the Eberron setting. This brings me to my main question. What's the best way to introduce a new campaign setting to my players during our session zero without boring them with tons of lore, but also making sure they know what their characters should know living in that setting? So first I want to, I want to take a few steps back and, uh, go to the like 12, people player thing yeah first off fantastic job there Steven. oh yeah um also i as someone who has uh stood at the end of a table with 12 people at the end <laughs> that is a very intimidating sight and yeah. props to you for for doing it especially with level 13 oh my god i think Good i only Lord. had them at level five. Oh my god um so what i'm going to suggest though because you're you even said that you're doing this more as like a popcorn game where it's just like a hangout. Um, there is a style of game that I've been holding off on really talking about because I want to dedicate a whole episode to it. Oh, I know. Or at least saying. a whole topic to yeah. it. Uh, and that's West Marches. Mm -hmm. um, so let, let, I'm, I'm going to read you real quick off of, uh, of Reddit. It's our D, uh, DM Academy. Uh, so this is the introduction they have. West Marches is a sandbox style of D&D campaign created by Ben Robbins and popularized by Matt Coville. Designed to uh, felicitate uh, player agency and reduce mindless plot uh, following, but putting a large group of players, 10 plus, in charge of where they go, what they do, and when they play. So I got introduced to this by my friend uh, Caitlin, who's actually in the Adventure series. Uh, her DM, uh, oh, actually, her DM, uh, Hector, who writes in, Hector Reyes, uh, he runs, uh, he ran a West March style game. Uh, several years ago, and the premise is you have a big pool of players, and you have like a Discord or a Slack or uh, a Obsidian portal. You have some things set up for all of the players to be on and talk, and that's mm -hmm. the important thing is to talk, because the way that the games get set up is by the players. The the players basically go, hey DM, when can we? When's a good time for you? DM puts out the times. They decide when to play. You tell people how many slots are available. They figure out who can make it, who can't, whatnot, and most importantly, they tell you what they want to do that session. Mm -hmm. And the premise of it is is that you are in somewhere unexplored, somewhere new, possibly like Wild Mount. Um. And you like more popular is the the completely unexplored island, completely unexplored land like um, and you are starting at a home base and you are spreading out and you're going on a hex map and discovering more about this world. So it does take quite a bit of world building and everything. But like 
you could describe one game of like, oh, uh, without perception check, you see off in the far distance what looks like some ruins on the side of a mountain. And then maybe three sessions later, someone in the Discord's like, hey, um, why don't we go check out those ruins we saw uh, a couple weeks ago? Um, yeah, okay, that's what we're going to do. So they've said that's what we're doing. So you then know what to plan out for it. Yeah. Um, I've wanted to do something like this for a long time, but it's never gotten off the ground. Um, but it might be something worth looking into. And like I said, eventually we'll do a full topic on it because there is a lot of stuff. It actually might be a good one to have Hector on to talk about, uh, because he's had a lot more experience with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, a lot of people do that. Like one of uh, Spencer's good friends, David, he also runs a West Marchers campaign purely through Discord, essentially. (laughs) And um, (laughs) he's always invited like Spencer to come and play like whenever he can. And so it's like eventually one of these days I might join because I'm super intrigued about how it all works out. Mm hmm. Uh, there, there's a couple things that Hector did in that original West, West Marches game that was uh, a brilliant design. Like the home, uh, the home settlement had like a magic spell on its walls, and there were amulets connected to it, and that's how he solved the problem of PCs being stuck out in the forest when a session ended. Uh-huh. Basically, they were on a timer, and they would teleport them back to the the town. Oh, neat. So they always started back at the town uh, after every session. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but as far as Eberron and campaign settings go, <laughs> that is that is a that's a good and tough question. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that you can answer this. Um, something, because personally, I'm not familiar with the Eberron setting. Um, the book is right there on the shelf. I'm looking at it right now, but I have yet to really open it and read through it. Um, that that's Spencer's job. He has that class anyways. (laughs) Um, so something that you can do is straight up just Google like, Hey, uh, bullet points about Eberron setting. And, uh, you can easily find a lot of like Reddit posts and things like that. Um, that's kind of like what I did, uh, looking for the answer for this question. And, I'm going to kind of go about this in like two steps. Uh, the first one I'm going to answer to your question is there's actually a really cool clear cut like option available for you, which is uh, this book. It's available on our drive through RPG. It's called an adventurer's guide to Eberron. It's not a full blown book. It's 66 pages, but like 90% of it is art. So it's easily just like a five minute read through. You could even just flip through the pages and it's full of, it's a visual guide that uh, shows the magical fantasy world of Eberron. Um, It tells you like the daily magical things that can be used. It shows you like what the scenery is like. It actually shows visuals of everything. Uh, It shows you like what kind of races are there. And it's a really clear cut straight to the point. Like this is the setting you're in um, without going into all the mechanics or without it being like a hundred pages long, like in the actual Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Mm -hmm. Um, It's only 10 bucks on DriveThruRPG for a PDF and if you really like it, you could actually get the the book too for only twenty bucks. Um, but and this it's, is this three point five content. Yeah, it's three point yeah. five, but I kind of looked through it, and it's um, it takes place at the same time that Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, the new five e book, takes mm. place. So it's not like you're saying, oh, it's this, but like you know, in the future, it's no, it's, yeah. it's the exact same setting. <clears throat> um, it's a perfect way to introduce your 
players into that world, especially those that have never played an Eberron, because I was looking mm-hmm. through it and spoiler, I bought it because I, <laughs> I had no clue what Eberron was about. And I know eventually Spencer <laughs> wants to play in it. Um, and so it's actually a really cool, easy way to get people to look into the setting. Um, because yeah, you're right. If you're trying to like get people into the setting, it's really difficult if you just lore dump onto them. And this gives them a, uh, pretty good way of getting them into the feel of the setting because like that's the one of the nice things about Faerun is like you could say it's high fantasy and you can kind of discover the areas <laughs> as you go whereas like mm-hmm. Eberron it's fantasy but it's not and so you kind of have to guide them into it yeah um another answer I have for you is the actual thing that you could tell them <laughs> um essentially like as far as uh races go in the world like orcs goblins kobolds dragons etc aren't evil by nature and that goes for good people as well like elves celestials all that kind of stuff they're no different they can be evil but they aren't inherently born that way so things that are usually good can be evil things that are usually evil can be good there's no black and white with eberron um also religion in this world gods do not come down to eberron um beyond like the silver flame essentially there's no representation of gods and eberron Clerics get powers and people believe in gods, but there is no, like, proof that gods exist, mm-hmm. unlike Faerun. Um, there's these things called dragon marks. Uh, they're essentially birthmarks or tattoos that make people into savants for kind of particular aspect of the world. They're genetic and racial, so they only appear on very specific races and only on bloodlines. Um, and then there's houses that have formed around these dragon marks. And these houses consider them kind of like corporations that slightly don't run the world but they are neutral Mm -hmm. um and the houses they they focus on particular product or service line um they are power hungry and they use that power hunger to gain monopoly like to form monopolies and gain political power and aside from that that's when you kind of go into fluff like you talk about the aesthetic of eberron where it's kind of like steampunk but not and you talk about how like they use the power of elementals to form airships, and it's pretty cool. So one of the, one of the things that you said back there, well, like that he's even said in this, is that like I don't want to just info dump. I don't completely agree with that because you kind of need to, especially in a session zero where it's like you you're making a character that's going to be in this world. You need to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would say is you need to. You need to info dump, but in an interesting way. And I think what it comes down to is like you, if you're really into like, let's take Eberron, for instance, because that's what we're talking about right now. If you're really into Eberron, if you're really hyped for Eberron, talk like you're hyped for Eberron. Mm -hmm. Like, let that let your freaking nerd flag fly for this moment where you're just like, okay, let me tell you why this place is freaking cool. Do you like monorails? They freaking have them and they're magical. Yeah. Freaking magic monorails. You can do a train heist. You can do freaking solo or firefly or whatever on magic. (laughs) Like, you can, like, get your people hyped and, like, one of the ways you can do it is like that, where you are just freaking excited and you're telling them about it. The other thing you could do is um, come up with a quick story that is set in Eberron that shows what is going. And I'm not telling you to be a writer. I'm not telling you to get flyer with it. Tell your players like it is a scene happening, where it's like 
there is a halfling that is breaking into one of the uh, dragon-marked houses of Eberron. And you tell them all of this and then go, what questions do you have? Ha- then move it into a conversation. Yeah. Where it's like, what do you need to do? What do you need to know uh, to make this character? What what do you need from me in order to help you make this character? That personally is my favorite type of uh, like homebrew world lore dump. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I use the term lore dump in a very loose way, but um, that's my favorite way of going about it. Like I was a player in one of my friends' homebrew worlds and I'm like, okay, well, how are this, how is this race viewed upon in the general public? And it's like, oh, well, they're kind of like looked like this. And it's like, okay, um, how's, how's like magic in this? And so it's like when I'm making a, a character, I ask questions pertaining to the world itself to see how yeah. like my character could possibly built like s- surrounded in that area. Um, so that way it's not all at once. But I'm getting, like, the information that my character or me would personally know. And then just like in real life, I'll learn about the world I'm in as I learn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yes. I, I, I remember I remember one time uh, when I was meeting up with my old coworkers to play games at a game store. I got there really early. And this group of uh, friends went to a nearby table. And the, one of the guys dumped out a bunch of books and everything, and they were trying to decide on a, uh, a system and a uh, setting. And he kept, like, talking at them, mm-hmm. like, doing basically what I'm saying not to do, where it's just, like, he didn't seem interested in the own stuff that he brought and then was just talking in circles about the system and the world and stuff like that. And I literally watched one of the, one of the people there fall asleep. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, it's, you got it. Yeah. You got, you got to get your players interested. And really ideally they should, they are interested because they're there to play a game. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully, you know, you can get them as hyped as you are. Like when I started descent, like, a lot of them hadn't played in Faerun before. Mm-hmm. So not only did I have the problem of explaining Faerun to them, I had the problem of explaining my entire MCU-style <laughs> connected storylines to them. But that kind of helped because I explained Faerun through my other games. Yeah. And some of the players there were from those games. So like I got to like point at them and be like, yeah, and... Garrett was with the Knights of Skyreach when they took down Tiamat, which was like the thing that kicked off all of these other things that are going on. So like that was at least an advantage I had there. Mm. But I got to I got to tell a story through what my players had done. Yeah. I mean, like that's that's the best way to put it. Try to put it in an engaging way when you're yeah. trying to tell them the info about the setting that they're going to be in. Um if you have the 10 bucks and you're willing to look through it and want a cool book that you like Eberron, I'd say get the adventurer's guide and share it with your friends. Cause it really is actually a pretty cool book. Um, and it's, it's pretty worth it. Also, I, I'll, I'll put in here. I haven't looked into it, but YouTube, uh, yeah. I know a lot of people on YouTube have done like setting descriptions and stuff. See if you can find a good one, send it to your players. Yeah. And just have a decent grasp on the setting itself. So that way, when your players are building characters in that session zero, you can answer questions like, hey, yeah. um, I want to be a changeling. How does that affect my standing Oof. in society? <laughs> so it's like, okay, so you can answer that. Um, and they'll yeah. have a good grasp on both what their character would be and how, and how society in the world is. All in one question. 
All right. Well, hopefully, Stephen, that helps you out. Uh, if you do have any more questions, you can send them into difficultyclass@gmail.com, and we'll we'll help you uh, through email if you got anything else going on. Because, mm -hmm. uh, like we said, we're going to be doing some games. Um, all right. So let's do our uh, DM's Guild Spotlight, uh, which is if I can find it. Did I click away from it? No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> so they're doing another charity bundle. Um, uh, which you know, DM, DM's Gold has been really good about doing during these times of crisis. And right now, it is the bundle Adventuring from Home. Uh, there are three bundle types, and all of them go to help uh, Doctors Without Borders. So, Such, so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have three different uh, bundles. Uh, each are $20, uh, and they have different things from Adventure League uh, to uh, what is it? donate and you will support the cause. Yeah. Uh, so they, they have a bunch of different ones uh, available for you to look through and see which ones you got. Each of them uh, is like a hundred worth $124. Yeah. Uh, so you're getting it for 20 bucks. Uh, and then one of them is just uh, pay what you want. Uh, and it's just donate straight to Doctors Without Borders, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, go go check these out. See if there's something you want, uh, or just donate some money to Doctors Without Borders to help with this crisis that we got going on right now, which we are all trying to use some escapism from to <laughs> forget about. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a worthy cause, and you get a lot of good stuff out of it. Just like with the Wild Bushfires uh, charity event that they did too, mm -hmm. you're you're gonna get a lot of good stuff out of it. All right, uh, continuing on with our questions, we got two more. One more from Aaron. Hello, Aaron again. Hello. Um, <laughs> uh, this was uh, about our uh, bonus episode on the UA. Uh, so Aaron says, I fully believe uh, Ali is correct and that this will not be the last UA uh, we see uh, so far for fun. So uh, so for fun, what do you think the next uh, release topic will be? Uh, she says, uh, I'm guessing uh, I'm going to guess races because uh, they've done classes, magic items and spells. So the next big thing that they uh, should do is new races. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, what do you think? they're going to do next. Uh, and I mean, I, I guess, okay, we don't have to say specifically next, but within this year, what's going to be one of those big things they're doing? I think they're probably going to release a new class again. Um, oh, like the so, artificer? Yeah, like the artificer. I know they attempted that with the psionic, uh, but that was like a subclass, a subclass. With, the, with the wizard that they changed in this latest UA to be a subclass. It was a full class by itself. Mm. Um, but I know that a lot of people and probably a lot of people put in their survey, like this should be its own class. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I feel like they're going to do a part two of that, um, and try to tip that into there. Um, something like th that's my guess is that they're probably going to do a new class or I, I can only assume they're going to keep throwing out these subclasses too. And I don't, yeah. I, I still don't know exactly why. <laughs> Um, and what they're planning on doing with them. Apparently, they're going to use them for new books, but I, I still am hoping for that Faerun setting book. That would just be the best. But The, no. the thing that worries me about the subclasses um, is it's it's worrying, worrying to look at it going like 3.5 in Pathfinder 1st Edition, where it's just there's so much content mm -hmm. that it's overwhelming and... It, it it like Adventure League right now, isn't it? Where it's like you get the player's handbook and one additional source book. Yeah, yeah, and eventually DMs are gonna have to start like 
putting that in too, where they're like, you get the you get the player's handbook and then one other thing. Yeah, that's it. Um, something that I would love to see in a UA would be new backgrounds and new background features and new ways for backgrounds to affect things. Yeah, that would be like, nice. <laughs> having new background features, like you can you can make up your own background all willy nilly all you like, but then that background feature is the hardest thing to go through because you just go yeah. through the list of background features and you're like, none of these really apply to my character. I guess I'll just choose uh, the entertainer one, <laughs> so I can get free room and board. I don't know, and so it's like you just kind of end up choosing one, and because looking at all of them, they are kind of really restricting to like what you can mm-hmm. and can't do. Um, I would love a UA for new backgrounds and new background features. Yeah. Because flavor is hard to come up with. And and I think that would be helpful. I think that now this isn't, this isn't me speculating on anything. I mean, like, oh, I think they're going to do this. This is purely my hope and dream. (laughs) Um, I would, because there was that one a long time ago that Mike Merles did that was like changing up. Uh, initiative, which I thought was a fascinating, yeah, yeah, fascinating uh, UA. I would love to see a UA that tackles the problem of bonus actions, yeah, and figuring out how to fix this clunky thing we've got right now. Because, like I've said so many times on the show, explaining it to a new player, you have a bonus action. Well, you don't really have a bonus action. If something says you can do it as a bonus action, you can, but you can only do it once on your turn. It was funny. So we were actually just talking about this, about how when we first started playing, we would, like, use, quote, use bonus actions for anything. We're like, hey, can I attack, uh, can I do this for my action and then for my bonus action do something that I normally like, can I do a bonus action twice, essentially? Yeah, no, it, so well, it was... it, that that's coming from 4th edition for us with minor actions. Because yeah. uh, normally on a turn in 4th edition, you had a move, a minor, and a standard action. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted, though, you could do a movement and two minor actions mm-hmm. instead of doing your standard action. Um, and I think... I can't remember. No, no. It, yeah, then you, one of the things you could do is do two moves and a minor. It was like some puzzly thing. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, I, I never liked it, but I, that you're kind of I, I actually, right. I actually did because it, it it felt more like Pathfinder 2nd Edition's three action economy uh, where I, I had more options. I was just about to say that felt more like Pathfinder 1's like, turn base where it's like you have a movement. You have a minor, you have your standard action, and if you do this, you could do this option, and if you don't do this, you could do these options, and it's like, I, well, it I th- felt I really think, confusing. I think Pathfinder had more of the, you can't do this, but that, that's neither here nor there, but like I, 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 I think us using, when we started 5th edition, using bonus actions like we used to use minor actions, almost went a little more smoothly. Mm-hmm. Because it it gave not just more options, but it gave more hard choices where it was like, hey, can I grab this thing as a bonus action? Yeah, but then you can't use healing word. Um, yeah. And like, can you so, imagine if D&D completely swapped things around and said, hey, you have a two action economy and your movement. Where yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, but then they still enforce the... Unless you have the feat extra attack, which you gain through your class, you're going to roll with a minus five on your second attack action that turn. I don't. I don't think they'll ever do that one. I but... know, but can you imagine? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that true. would be so cool. <laughs> um, 
but I, I I would like to see something tackle like that. I still think that before we see a sixth edition, we're gonna see a five point five. Oh yeah. And I I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not expecting it, but I wouldn't be surprised if this year we start seeing some UAs that are tackling that idea. Yeah. Um because once again, like I, I think we could do a five point five um easily without affecting the dmg the monster manual or any of the campaigns yeah no, so i think you're right so i i think that, that that's my answer for that aaron <laughs> <laughs> so basically we would want backgrounds and we would want some uh mechanical uh, fixes yeah mechanical options yeah yeah um all right the next question is uh from jonathan uh, Jonathan's written in before. Thank you again for writing in, Jonathan. Um, so Jonathan uh, sent in a um, a video, and I watched I watched about half of it uh, before we started recording. Uh, it is uh, oh from uh, Matthew Coville, who I spoke about earlier with the West Marches <laughs> thing. Um, so it was a video about action oriented monsters, and the premise being that uh, if you want to run an encounter with a... I, I left Matthew's face on a very unappealing... <laughs> there we go. There, you, you're, you're smiling a little bit. You, you have this... You, I do it. Uh, but it was... If you want to have a solo creature, uh, he, personally, finds it uh, boring to either have a monster pop up and they basically play whack-a-mole and it dies before it even gets an action, or putting some really big monster that soaks up all the damage that they throw at it first, and then it just one-hit KOs uh, a player to instill threat, that neither of those are interesting. Because, uh, one, if they if it just pops up and dies, that's anticlimactic. If it just you know soaks up everything and then one-hits something, it, the players don't feel like they actually got to do anything to prevent that, and it was just the DM picking somebody, and you're down. Mm-hmm. So... He wanted to mix it up a bit. And some of the examples he was giving was, in my opinion, and we talked about this before, was more of him making a new combat. Yeah. Um, Because he had suggestions of, like, the monster getting actions at the end of every player's turn and having them, like, class-focused so he gets, like, his rogue attack after the rogue goes and stuff like that. And it was sounding more... It, it sounded like he was trying to make something more than what we currently have. But it, the thing is, though, for me, he was doing it in a very crunchy way. Um, yeah. Like, just numbers-wise. Let, let, let me let me read uh, Jonathan's uh, first part of his question real quick. Um, what sort of memorable encounters have you or other hosts cooked up uh, to make for an especially fun fight or puzzle combat type encounter, uh, be it an overall concept or an element that really stood out and kept things spicy. I like I like the use of spicy, Jonathan. Well played. <laughs> oh, I miss burritos. Oh, <laughs> now I'm sad. <laughs> um, so yeah, what what? Giving that info dump that I just did. What are your thoughts so far on that or examples that you have? Um, so. Something like when it, when someone asked me like what's a memorable encounter that you've that you've made, um, the number one thing that I can think of is probably uh, when they were fighting with Felgolas, who is a he he's just an adult bronze dragon. Mm-hmm. 
Fogolas's whole shtick is that he likes to fuck with the Zentarum. His mm-hmm. horde is literally stolen Zentarum caravans. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is very much like he's he's got he's got a he wants to fuck with them, and so he's all like, okay, hey, uh, hey friends, uh, I want you guys to go on this boat with me, and I want you to disrupt uh, a heist that the Zentarum are going to attempt to do. And so they're like, okay, cool, and it's a gambling boat. Spoiler: uh, This is from mm-hmm. Storm King's Thunder. However, I made this part up. And, um, so they're like, okay, cool. So they go on the boat and Fogolas is known as Fogolas the Misfortunate because he has incredible luck, but he also has incredible bad luck. Mm-hmm. And so he wins at gambling while they're trying to blend in. And he's like, oh man, I got I'm all assuming this money. he's not in dragon form. <laughs> no, no, he's in, he's a human this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's like, wow, look at all this money. And the, the, one of the people are like, oh, hey, due to your house winnings, we're going to give you a drink on the house. And they're like, oh, cool. So Fegolas takes a drink and he immediately feels sick. <laughs> and the reasoning behind that is because of all the drinks, of all the things to made, they used one particular foreign ingredient that he's, really allergic to and so he goes up top of this riverboat and he starts hurling so much so then he's in such distress that he transforms back into his dragon form on the ship where there are dozens of zentarum on board oh my god (laughs) and so right now all the zentarum are still in their casual civilian clothes because they are trying to blend in the players want to help their dragon friend and didn't realize he was a dragon at this point. <laughs> and so they're like, what is this dragon? And so like, they're helping out this man. The dragon isn't helping at all. He's literally retching over the side of the boat. The whole boat is just tilting over to one side because he's <laughs> leaning on it. And like, there is Zentarum who immediately recognized this dragon because this dragon's been fucking with him this whole time. Mm-hmm. Start attacking him. And so the players have to figure out who are actually civilians, who are actually Zentarum. How do we want to go about this? How are we going to avoid dealing with this dragon, but also deal with this dragon? And so it was such a fun encounter that really wasn't a combat one too much. It was more so just trying to figure out what they need to do and scrambling about. And it made mm-hmm. it so fun. And they, they ended up flying off into the after one of the clerics healed Fogolas up they ended up flying off on the back of this on a Fogolas in a very never-ending story kind of moment yeah <laughs> with the Zimtarum yeah! like firing crossbows at them as they leave it was it was a, it was a neat encounter and it was very memorable for for the party I feel like and so so you actually you know went straight into what I was gonna say which is the most interesting way that I have found to make an encounter fun and, you know, difficult is story. Mm-hmm. If there is some element of not just role play, but like event happening in the encounter that isn't numbers, you can make a way really interesting encounter without having to worry about how many attacks it has, how much damage it does, how much dam- how much health it has, how- what's its AC. Like, I did, like, even just something as simple as this. I, at the bookstore, we did games in Cholt at one point. Yeah. And I had a frog hemoth show up. They started fighting it, and it just wrapped its tentacle around one of the, I think it was either an NPC or a player, and just took off with it. <laughs> 
And so they had to go chasing after this frog hemoth that was holding one of their friends. And they were completely panicked. They were scrambled and they're like, I don't know what's happening because I can't just hit it. Yeah. So, yeah, with what you did there with the dragon trying to figure out who's in term, who's a normal person, what are my morals at? Like, (laughs) that is way more interesting than worrying about how many attacks the Zentarum have. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, the Zentarum also don't want to give themselves up right away. So it it ended up adding up to this crazy combat encounter that kind of ended up being more so of, explain to me what you're doing, less so I'm going to use my action to attack. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people diving off onto the lower level of the riverboat. There was people, like, surrounding Fogolas trying to protect them. And also there was people, like, trying to, like, quietly just Hitman style take people out in the back. And it was like... (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's so good! I love it. Yeah, like like uh, like I've told on the the show before. Like with the when you guys fought Strahd, it was three turns long. Yeah, but and, it didn't feel like it. <laughs> yeah, and everyone was like, "That was fucking terrifying." Yeah, it's like yeah because I held one of the the player characters off a cliff, <laughs> 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 which had nothing to do with numbers. Like it was just like I rolled to see if I did it. I did. All right, I picked her up, and she's holding off over a ledge now. Yeah. So, and that and. Like, already built into the system for big bad guys are lair actions and legendary actions and legendary saves, Mm -hmm. which are on their own fucking terrifying. Yeah. um, Take, like, I I had a big Imrith fight, which is this big fuck-off dragon. And she has... Big fuck-off dragon. (laughs) She's got lair actions. She's got magic. She's got legendary actions. She's got all these things. Yeah. And the players knew all of this because they heavily researched her into that. And they came prepared with, like, their own backups in case she did all these things. And it's like, even though she was doing all these actions, it really kind of felt more crunchy than, like, actually a neat fight. Like, that was one of my most, like, regretful things is, like, this big like climactic fight that was supposed to be the coolest thing ever ended up kind of feeling like okay so she's now 400 feet away from you you have eldritch blood you can do that um and you have okay so she can't really do much and then on your turn she's gonna fly this way she can't do opportunity attack and it's, it's like it kind of ended up feeling more clunky where if i just took it more as a story approach because like something that i always recommend if you're having trouble or feeling like your encounters are boring I recommend mm-hmm. approaching it from a action movie standpoint, yeah. like have in your head, what would be a cool thing right now? And then just try to basically transmit it into like action economy. Cause like, imagine what can happen in six seconds. Cause that's what a turn is. Yeah. <laughs> so much can happen in six seconds. And if you say like, oh yeah, she's going to grab at him and she's going to try to throw him against the wall. It's like, that's that's something that's not technically in her stat block, but you know what? You mm-hmm. can roll with it and figure it out. The, the two other things I want to say is, one, if you ever want to scare the shit out of your players, just give it Misty stuff. Oh, um, yeah. That's what I <laughs> did for the Green Dragon. He was all fey and yeah. shit, and it's like, oh yeah, he Misty steps, and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, nothing, like, I've never had anything more satisfying than Misty stepping a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, which I didn't uh, fake that's a real thing in one of the books Um, yeah my players faces when I'm like all right uh, and the T-Rex is now suddenly over here and they go fucking excuse me (laughs) (laughs) Um, but as uh, the other thing that he said in there was puzzle encounters Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to talk about 
puzzles as puzzles, I suck at making puzzles, um, is turning the encounter into a puzzle, which is something I do think is really fun. This has very little to do with story. This has very little to do with like adding action economies to it. It's adding something into the encounter that is that the players have to worry about alongside the main threat. Yeah, I mean, like, think about the classic video game boss fight. Uh, yes. Something that immediately springs to mind that a lot of people are familiar with. The end from Minecraft. In order to fight the, the dragon at the end, you have to take out the crystals that are above the pillars first. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, that's a puzzle in itself. You have to figure yeah. out how to get all the way hell up there. Or you have to figure out a ranged weapon that you can survive all these creatures down below and the dragon too. So it's like, that might not be a straight up puzzle. But it is something that they have to figure out in order to win and succeed the encounter. Yeah. And, and I do not recommend doing this all the time. Do not turn every encounter into a puzzle. But, like, for some of the big stuff, like, um, the, the thing that first got me thinking about this was was Destiny uh, mm-hmm. with, with some of the raid mechanics and everything. Um, my favorite raid and favorite boss fight in all of Destiny is the first raid in Destiny 1. The ending the ending fight is insane because you have Atheon who's at one end shooting at everyone. You have enemies spawning that you have to take care of, but then you also have platforms. You have to stand on the platforms to activate the teleporters. One teleporter will open half the team goes in, grabs an artifact, fights their way out, comes back, stands in the middle activates a bubble that Atheon can't shoot through, but you shooting through it allows you to actually damage Atheon and you rinse and repeat. And it was one of the most satisfying fights I ever had. Yeah. Um, there, there's interactive mechanics throughout the, the arena, so to speak, that yeah. makes it worthwhile to stick around and figure out. Now, the one, one of the things I'll say is like, you know, don't take the Atheon fight and repeat it because like one, it doesn't feel good when you tell your players like, you can't damage him. Oh God, no! Yeah. Uh, but uh, but one of the things that I did with the God, what's what's his name again? I always forget his name. We talked about before the show. Gar. Gar Shatter Shield. Yeah. Yeah, that that dude from uh from Prince of the Apocalypse. I decided to do a boss fight puzzle thing with it, where he had, um, bubbles of water floating around the arena. And uh, one would be attached to him at a time and it would be healing him and giving him resistances. Mm-hmm. So they, the players had to, and Allie was one of them, uh, they had to go <laughs> around the field and uh, hit one of the bubbles, uh, you know, take that down and then go fucking beat on the boss. And the thing that I loved the most about that was how much movement it had you guys do. Oh, yeah. And how much teamwork it had you guys do. Yeah, if if there's a way that you can get the, uh, quote, arena to involve movement, yeah. that makes for a spicier combat. So spicy. If they're Very just spicy. If they're just surrounding the dude and they're just wailing on him, even though you have uh, actions, legendary actions, like if they legendary action to move away, they're just going to calmly move towards him and continue wailing on them. It's like, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily fun. But if you incorporate elements that cause them to move around the encounter, that really adds up to that uh, action drama that you see in movies. Like, bad guys don't just, like, think Iron Man. Like, Iron Man doesn't just sit in one place and just go with his hands the whole time. He moves <laughs> the fuck around the arena. And uh, so that's that's kind of what adds to the, the, the action theater effect, too. 
quick aside, I would like to uh, put forward a vote to make uh, any reference to fun combat to now be referred to as spicy combat. Yes. <laughs> it is done. <laughs> <laughs> One yas later, and yes. <laughs> the, the, the podcast hosts have spoken. Spicy combat is fun combat. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I do really I do really like the idea of puzzle encounters uh but definitely not all the time and really think about the mechanics of it that is one where you are going to have to get a lot more crunchier with it yeah but if you're just doing you know day-to-day combat unless you are in a game that is running off xp like i don't do i don't i don't do xp i don't like xp uh i i level people up when i when the story calls for it um but doing so has made me look at why do i have encounters (laughs) <laughs> yeah. why do i have random encounters yeah what is the it it, it kind of makes me look at it like like if you were taking a writing class where like one of the great uh quotes for writing is every sentence should be building the story towards something mm-hmm. and that's kind of how i approach looking at what we're what i'm doing with with random encounters and stuff is like if it's just there to be there. I don't really see a reason for it. Yeah. It, I, I want it to, I want an encounter to be there because it needs to be, or because it, uh, it has something to do with the story or what they're doing. Tubo Annihilation's random encounter table actually is a cool proponent of this. Cause mm-hmm. I think about like 80% or 90% of these random encounters actually have something about the story. Yeah. Like, like, um, even just a zombie showing up, they've got something on the forehead that normal zombies have, don't. They, they have a connection. If a red wizard of Thay pops up, that is a huge red flag that yeah. something's going on. Like, why the you, fuck there, are there frost giants here? It's like yes. every single thing, every single random encounter in Tomb Annihilation. I, I feel at least I forgot most of them, but usually they're actually proponent to propelling the story forward in some yeah. way. Yeah, and and. I think that is a super important thing. Like if you have a creature that you want to use just to use, find a reason for why it's there and why it has something to do with what's going on. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say I've never done a random encounter just to do something. I have, but it, uh, it, it feels, I find that it feels better if it has something to do with it, if it leads them towards something in propels them further into the story yeah i mean like remember when we built that encounter with the t-rex we didn't just have a t-rex in the middle of the city we had a reason why the t-rex was in the house <laughs> we had a reason why you would need to get in there we had a reason mm-hmm. like what you did oh my with god it. i for- i forgot about that episode that was fun yeah <laughs> and so it's like having a reason behind these encounters also makes the combat spicy because then yes. they have a reason to uh, be in this combat more so than just I need to kill this thing. Mm-hmm. Like some uh, of the most fun what? I think I ever had was actually in the the Ravnica game that we were briefly running. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys didn't kill a single person, and yet we never killed anyone. Yeah, and yet those Five encounters sessions. were like the most spicy I could ever imagine. <laughs> Five sessions and we didn't kill a single person. Yeah, I loved that. Um, well, I think I, I I can't come up with anything else as far as like help on, on spicy combat. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I like really what it comes down to, like if you 
are just having if you want to add more stuff to a a, a fight just give them lair actions or mm-hmm. legendary actions i i i'm not going to say what that video that uh that Matthew Coville did isn't good it was really good it was it, like the part the, the the half that i listened to was really fun listening um but i don't think you need to specifically go that far to make an interesting combat yeah and the only thing that I would say is just if you are going to be adjusting characters and monsters about willy nilly, be wary of players that will be like, wait, he can do that. As a yeah. DM, you just have to shrug and say, yeah. <laughs> well, OK, so real quick, like I, this is the last example I have of it. The uh, in the Teldori book, which we ran a uh, session of at the bookstore before mm-hmm. all hell went to hell. Um <laughs> The, the one that I did was actually an adventure hook from the book, and it was, hey, there's a Hydra. It can talk and use magic because of this, basically an oil spill up the river mm-hmm. from Whitestone. That's fascinating. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, if you, have, if you have a creature that just suddenly does something, maybe that is a, a hook maybe that's something to look into maybe it's uh your players just like hey they shouldn't be able to do that you're like yeah you're right <laughs> wouldn't you they know? shouldn't <laughs> weird ain't it <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but as far as like like legendary actions and lair actions i i don't think are anything that need to like be broken or anything like la- like legendary actions are usually it gets an extra attack yeah or something like that. Or you have it has an amount of points. Free movement somewhere. Yeah. yeah, it's just letting it do more stuff throughout the turn. So I think really legendary actions is probably the easiest way to get in there on it. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I wanted to bring up because I just thought about it is uh, specifically puzzle encounters, like for example, death traps. Now, as someone who has ran uh, Tomb of Annihilation through to the end, Trevor, uh, but you didn't mm-hmm. technically do the actual meat. No, I didn't. So this no, is actually kind of uh, not necessarily directed at you, but like <laughs> if you're ever doing an encounter where if they don't complete it, they will like straight up die. Like if you tra- trigger a trap where it's like, oh, yeah, spikes are coming down from the ceiling. Like, what do they do? And how do you make that a fun encounter instead of just a pure stressful? Well, this is it. We're going to die moment. Do you have um, any suggestions for that? No, because for me, it's either. Uh, you're running that and the table understands that you're running that or you don't have that. Yeah. Um, like you, you, because here's the thing. If the, my, my, and I talked about this in, on dungeon driver with tomb of annihilation, by the time they get to the tomb, it is very possible that you have spent six months with this character. Yeah. <laughs> And you've built a story. There's a story still going. And literally at the front door, you can just fucking die. Before you like, get into the front door. <laughs> yeah. Like you just, you just, you're stuck. You, uh, you're, you're dead. There's no yeah. anything to it. And so the problem that that brings up is if you let them die, one, the player, if this has been a very story-heavy game, feels like, hey, I didn't get to continue on with anything or anything mm-hmm. like that. And even into Annihilation, if they die, they're they're dead. They're real dead. They're, they're real dead. dead. They can't be yeah. brought back. Um, and then, like, if you if you Deus Ex Machi them out of it, that feels cheap. 
Yeah. Which is really funny because it's like, well, yeah, I would have felt bad if my pl- if my character died, but also like now it feels like I just can't die. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it it's it's a it's a it's a tightrope. It's 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 a it's it, walking that is difficult to find where your players still feel in danger, but you don't just outright kill them. Yeah. So like, spicy doesn't mean. If they fail, they will die. Spicy means fun. <laughs> yeah. Spicy means fun. That's that's another so, shirt we're making. So spicy, when, yeah, I like that. Spicy means fun. Um, <laughs> so when you're building like specifically puzzle or trap encounters, try to keep that in mind. Like traps that heavily damage people, sure. But if they just outright kill, be weary of those and at least be transparent to your players that those can possibly be in the game. Traps should be obstacles and speed bumps. They like, especially if it's in a combat encounter, they should be obstacles and speed bumps. Yeah. They should not be things that outright kill people. They should be things that, oh crap, the fighter just got hit by spikes, which took his health down even lower. If Mm -hmm. he gets hit by the bad thing again, he's down. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff. Or like, uh, oh, a pitfall trap opened up and the wizard's down there. Crap. Now we got to wear, now we got to try and get the wizard out of there so he can keep damaging the, the thing while we're also trying to keep the things away from. Him. So it adds, it should add more to the combat, not just outright kill people. But mm-hmm. that's my opinion. <laughs> that was the last thing I wanted to put in there because I yeah. know that there are those types of encounters where it's like, yeah, if you don't solve this puzzle, the room will flood and you will drown. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, and I almost feel like those are just as disappointing as Deus Ex Machina's. Yeah. Where it's like, so I made a roll, I had some, I, I, I rolled a bad number, and now I'm just dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't feel good. And yeah. when you're coming to a table, you're there to have fun and to build a story and everything. And just outright dying like that and having no closure to it or any story reason to it. I mean, like. Even in Game of Thrones, spoilers for a fucking 20-year-old book. Um, <laughs> God, older than that 30-year-old. Um, like, Ned Stark dies. And I remember watching that like, well, that shit. Yeah. That fuck this show. so terrible. Yeah. But then when you look at what that single death did and mm-hmm. the ripple effect it had, it's like, oh, wow. That was actually one of the most important events in this story. Yeah. And so... If you can't do that because you got crushed by a giant block, you know, uh, three miles below the ground in the Tomb of Annihilation, yeah. eh, I just, it, meh. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, Jonathan, I hope that answered a question for you somewhere in there. <laughs> we kind of <laughs> went on a tangent there. Thanks for giving us spicy combat. Oh, yes. Uh, the last thing I do want to say is uh, he did add another thing that says, uh, as for how this topic can be included in the podcast, maybe once a month put out a prompt with an environment such as forest, uh, arctic, at sea, etc., and have listeners submit uh, a concept for an enemy using some of these approaches from uh, for encounter design. Uh, we can leave uh, the raw numbers out of it or just uh, keep it uh, conceptual and see. Uh, so it's not... Eh, whatever. I suck at reading. Uh, <laughs> but I do like this idea of putting out basically a writing prompt of mm-hmm. an encounter each month. So that might be that might be worth looking into on maybe yeah. doing on on future shows. Yeah. Um. Well, that was our show for this week. Uh, just a quick reminder: we will be going into more adventure-like episodes for the next 
several-ish. It depends on how long things go. Um, yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So until next week, don't get killed by some spicy combat. <laughs> Thank you.